This podcast was created and is hosted by a young survivor of stroke. This podcast series is part of Stroke Foundation's Young Stroke Project. Find out more by visiting youngstrokeproject.org.au. Hi there, my name's Paul Burns. I'm a young stroke survivor and I am on a mission to talk to people that have suffered strokes and other traumas and have gone on to absolutely smash it in their chosen field. We'll chat about how they approach life, manage their shortcomings and get a few tips and tricks along the way. My guest today is Ash Gordon. Once Ash has his mind set on a goal, he is driven to reach it. He has multiple bachelor's degrees, including health sciences, applied sciences, as well as teaching. He's worked as a teacher in the fields of PE, science, and mathematics, and has also traveled the world. However, he discovered a passion for traditional Chinese medicine, which he went on to study, and suffered his stroke with six months left to go in his qualification. His determination led him to return to his studies and complete them post-injury. We chat about his approach and how he did it. So please enjoy this chat I had with Ash. I appreciate you making the time to jump on this for uh, on, your, on your Saturday morning. Oh, I'm happy, very happy to be here. Look, this is close to my heart, so I'm happy, very happy to join. Ah, cool beans. Um, well, I guess the first question I, I wanted to ask you, and this is probably more of a selfish thing, but you seem to have traveled a little bit. How did you get like this Spain and Canada? How did that happen? <laughs> yeah, that was a, that was geez, that's a lifetime ago. Canada was when I finished my teaching degree. I just wanted to run away from the world. I think. Yep. Um, at the right page of. 25, I just bailed. My plan was to move to Canada and teach in Canada okay. with an ex-partner of mine. And then we broke up and then uh, my cousin was in Whistler in Canada. And he's like, well, you can move to Vancouver by yourself. Or you can, you know, come and join me in Whistler with mm. all of his friends. And I was like, no, I'll just go to Vancouver. And I was staying in Texas at the time with my, with my mum. And then, uh, and then he came down to Texas and uh, showed me photos of all his friends. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to Vancouver. <laughs> I went to Whistler and ended up staying there for a year. Yep. And then met friends there who every summer go to Spain and run a beach bar. Okay. They're like, do you want to come to the beach bar and you can be a barista? We need a barista. I'm like, yes, I can do that for you. And so next thing I know, I'm in Spain. <laughs> sure. So has it always been, you've always sort of been an adventurous kind of uh, oh, person? Not, not really. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a traveler type. I was a type that would want to go somewhere and live there and embed myself into the culture and not go to, you know, I'd rather go to five places as opposed to 20 places. Okay. And, uh, and so I would do that and, and I loved experiencing different ways of life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, I'm, that was me done for a while. So it's uh, you, you kind of like to go sort of go deeper on a subject matter rather than skirt over the top of a lot of different things. hundred percent, hundred percent. So look, it was, as I said, that was, I then came home and then I taught for a few years and then went back to uni and studied, studied Chinese medicine. Yeah. And I was, I was going to ask you about that, that um, with regards to your, your studies, you know, you've got your bachelor's in, you know, applied science, human movement, you know, you've done, uh, you've done teaching and then you've gone across to traditional Chinese medicine, it kind of really is a Spain-Canada thing. Oh, it's, it uh, 100%. The, the, linking, the linking or the common denominator between all that is basically the human body because I, okay. I was a PE and biology teacher. Yeah. And so there was a love for the human body, which is all, had always been there, and then um, realised that teaching wasn't my jam and then was getting an acupuncture session one day and then the acupuncturist says, well, you're asking a lot of questions. Have you ever thought about studying it? I'm like, not until now. All of a sudden it just took over isn't and, that weird those one-on-one conversations sometimes you can just get that key moment that oh, yeah can turn you can turn the tide it, it did and to the point that i don't remember 
applying. I don't remember doing any of that mundane stuff. I remember going to uni for my interview in, in November and they, or December and they, of 2007 and yeah. then gone right off scene in February. I'm like, what do you mean? You're supposed to grill me on everything that I know. You're supposed to test me. You're supposed to ask me this kind of stuff. Yeah. I'd filled out a page, you know, the back page of what do you know about Chinese medicine? <laughs> and, um, and he's like, mate, I know you want to be here. I'll see you in February. Yeah. And, uh, done. But yeah, it was, um, I couldn't, if you had said to me two years ago, you're going to be studying an acupuncture degree, I would have said, no, I said, not a chance. Yeah. So, um, good turn of events. Yeah. I was going to say, it's, it's, it, it does sound like that. Um, he spotted someone that was, uh, like an attitude and, uh, one oh, to do it's half the battle, right? hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. So it was great. So with, I mean, with acupuncture and, uh, and that sort of industry, was it anything in particular about, you know, TCM, sorry, traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture yeah. that drew you to it as opposed to uh, any other discipline? Or That's a good question. And I've thought about that before. And my answer is, well, so my sister's an osteopath. She's a very skilled osteopath. Mm-hmm. And I saw her lifestyle and I saw her working scenario that she could pick and choose her hours and she could block off a Thursday morning if she wanted to. And I'm just like, I, I want that. Yeah, I wanted that lifestyle and I kind of didn't realize that I was searching for something to fit that mm. lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, but I can't stand, like my, my mother was a, she, she's a, she was a bone therapy teacher. So bone mm-hmm. therapy is like a, a, a very gentle musculoskeletal therapy, which helps realign the body as a physical therapy, but that's as massage as I get, you know, okay. I don't do, I don't want to do, you know, massage for an hour. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'd already had a tactile therapy and then, so I'm like, well, what do I do? And mm. then this just presented, I don't, I had been having acupuncture for years and then this just presented itself. And I'm just like, wow. I, I, the only one that rang a bell for me. Yep. And from what you've told me in the past, you've kind of gone deep down the rabbit hole on the, on the uh, Chinese medicine side of things as well. It's uh, yeah. really is your sort of passion now. Correct, correct, and and that's for, for anyone in, in any scenario. You just got to find out what sparks an interest, yep. And you got to grab that interest and run with it, you know. Yeah. And 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 because if you don't, you're just going to make it hard work for yourself. You're partly through your studies of traditional Chinese medicine at the time after being a teacher and then traveling overseas and associated shenanigans, and then uh, <laughs> that fateful day occurred. <laughs> it did. It did. It definitely came out of left field. Yeah, so I had six months to go of the four-year degree. Yeah. And, yeah, and then boom, it, it happened. And so uh, there was a – everything was put on hold for six months and then I was – the uni was – they let me do the, the last six months over 12 months. Yeah. And, um, and that's all I wanted to do. Okay. All I wanted to do was to get back in that classroom and get back in that clinic and just finish what I started. And it's – to me, there was no – it was never a question of – I'm not going to get there. And, okay. and, I, and, I, and I can't explain why. To me, it was just the fact of I grossly underestimated what had happened to me, completely underestimated. When I was in rehab and I and my first physio session, and I can't remember this guy's name, but geez, he was fantastic. Mm-hmm. And first physio session, and he sat me down and he goes, do you, do, you, do you actually know what happened to you? I'm like, mate, I've, I've got no idea. Yeah. And so he explained everything that had happened to me physiologically and, okay. and the, and the extent he goes, well, so obviously there's strokes and there's strokes, but this is what happened to you. Okay. This is why you're struggling with what you're struggling with now. This is why you're feeling this, this is, and that took a good half an hour. I was fried at the end of that. I yeah. was, there was so much information. 
And, but that was one of the most life-changing sessions with him because he explained what happened. And then I fully understood what was going on. And I think then I grabbed the gravity of the scenario. I'm like, oh, wow, this is uh, bigger than what I thought. Do you think your understanding and your background in physiology and, you know, your background with understanding the human body and that kind of stuff, and now you've got this new information about stroke, did that help you contextualize it? Yes. Yes, it did. Well, I could, I, I didn't, have, the, the, all my studied studies had done was allow me the grace to not ask him clarification questions about what he was talking about in terms of vascular stuff and that. Mm-hmm. Like he threw it to me in lay terms and I'm like, yeah, yeah, got that, got that, got that because I had an understanding. But at the same time, yes, I'm a very visual person. Okay. So I could draw a picture in my head of what had happened. Yeah. Basically a flow chart, let's call it that. Okay. So that enabled me to build a flow chart in my mind and go, well, here's the question mark of recovery. Yeah. Now I've just got to make sure that everything I know how to take care of the body gets mm. me question mark so you you understood the implications of what he was saying to you and the possibilities of what this could mean for the future based on what he said or did he give it to you that specifically oh, no 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 he didn't give he didn't give me any any potential outcomes yeah he just told me what had happened okay and which then gave light to where how i was feeling in that moment and yeah and now that i think about it, he never he never said doctors tried to and, you know, they give you the, the low percentage of, well, I was given a 30% chance of ever walking again. Okay. So um, you got, you at least got that information. Yes. Well, for yeah. what it's worth. Yeah, exactly. And so my mum and my sister, I remember you saying how your wife was the pillar of strength for you. And so my mum yeah. and my sister were, were very similar in that scenario. Yep. And, and these numbers that these, that these specialists were throwing out were kind of just laughed at internally. Yeah. And it was kind of like, when we walked out of those sessions, all those, their consultations, and there was like, take no notice of those numbers. They mean yeah. nothing. Okay. They're just like, that's absolute garbage comparative to what you're going to be. You're not, you're going to be fine. This is just me being curious, but without throwing anyone on the bus, but did you ever get sort of conflicting or advice uh, or information from the medical fraternity that may have sort of, hang on a second, this doesn't seem, you know, yeah, did they ever I, conflict I, at all or not really? I, yes, I did. The reason yeah. why I'm laughing is because it was a point of contention. And as you can, I'm sure you well understand that they have no data for us youngies in yeah. this scenario. And so the, the treatment plan was as if I was 80. And yeah, so okay. they're like, you know, you got to go on the cholesterol meds, you got to go on the blood pressure meds, and you got to go on the, the blood thinners and this and that and yada, yada, yada. There was an experience that I've sort of had that's in a similar sort of vein, and I'm not going to speak poorly of any of my medical professionals because they were bang on and they were, they were awesome and they were amazing and I, I was very fortunate but I did really get that impression uh in a few instances not all along the lines of oh you've had a stroke here's a collection of meds you take now you've had a stroke yeah. and if and if it had been explained to you, well you need to take it because you had this and then this and then this and then this and then and maybe and to be fair maybe it was um yeah. I mean some of my souvenirs are cognitive so yeah. I don't make sense at the best of times <laughs> uh, I could be damned stubborn. Um, but yeah, I really sort of did get that. Was, oh, I, I just got that impression. It was like, you've had a stroke, you have these. Correct. Oh, 100%. 100%. And has been subsequently explained to me, and I've uh, been slapped around the head appropriately by certain people to sort of say, <laughs> dude, take your medication, but, um, which yep. I do. Um, but yep. yeah, if it had been explained more 
to make me feel like that someone was actually paying attention to the specifics of my case. Yes. Not just saying in IT terms, have you tried turning it off and turning it on again? Right. I, might have, I might have swallowed it more. Yeah, right. And that's what it was for me. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't do labels. Yeah. You know, I don't do categories. Mm. Um, in our medicine, we treat the individual. We don't treat the, you know, we, we don't treat the, the, the symptom or the, or the illness or disease, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But, um, so that was the mind frame I was in, and and what was interesting is that for some reason there was a there was a huge, a huge miscommunication between whether I had a um, a hemorrhage or whether I had a clot, ah. and um, and as far as I remember, my sister remembers and my mum remembers, they said I had a hemorrhage, they said I had a bleed, and even then that's when the GP is just like, well, why would you go on blood thinners if you had a hemorrhage? Yeah, wouldn't they make it worse? Correct. Okay, I was getting. I'm an IT guy. I don't know anything about yeah. bodies and stuff, but I know I bleed yeah. more when I take my blood thinners. Yeah, and so I just like that makes sense. So that's why I wasn't taking the blood thinners then. Yeah. So then when I went back after my hand, and then they all they all scoured through the notes and they're just like, no, clot. There's no nothing here that says bleed. I'm like, that is I to the point that I even called my mum and yeah. I called my sister and I said, what what do you remember happened? And they said you had a bleed, and I'm like, yeah, that's what I remember. Yeah. And they're like, well, there's no word of it anyway. So it wasn't there. So mm. that's what, well, then if that's the case, I'm definitely jumping on the blood thinners. Yeah. What were you dealing with? I mean, short-term versus, you know, sort of ongoing. What, what are kind of the things oh, that you, that you short, had that you Short-term, I was, I was out. I was in, well, I, I um, was, I flatlined. Wow. I flatlined. And so I was put, and my mum was in America at the time. So, because I was in hospital and I remember just, I, I don't remember. I've got no memory of this. Yeah. But I responded, I remember in the, in the morning I woke up and I canceled that day because I had a terrible headache and I felt nauseous. And I've, I've got text messages to people saying that because I had to meet a friend for a coffee and this and that and the attic, whatever it was. I was all over it. You know, yeah. I was, I was, you know, just doing functioning as normal, mm-hmm. which is when you go back to a text message only to re- read it and go, I have no memory of this at all. <laughs> Um, and then without boring you with the details that I, I, then my, my auntie, cause I was staying at my mother's house at the time mm-hmm. and my, my auntie came around and my sister came around and then, and then they took me to the hospital to Monash medical center. And, um, and then I was in, um, not, not even sure where I was anyway. And then I, um, they gave me Panadol and all that kind of stuff to decrease the headache. And then that didn't do anything. Um, and then. Next thing you know, I just coded and I was and I was out, and which was actually good because that pushed the envelope, and then that means that they had to jump on me to find out what was going on. And yep. so then my sister said that they then took me into surgery, and the surgeon came running out. She goes, "You never want to see a surgeon run," but nope. this surgeon was running, and he came running out, and he said, "Look, this is what's happened. I need to do an emergency craniectomy. I could go through all the risks, adverse risks to this in this scenario." But times of the essence, we actually don't have time. Can I go through the operations to my sister? Because she was the next of kin. Mm. And she, and this is the thing. Is she, I feel like I emotionally I've got out of this scot free. She's got all of those memories that she's dealing with, and so does my mum. Yeah, my wife's and the same. She just she just looked at me and said, "Do whatever you got to do." And so then he went <laughs> bolting back into the surgery, and they did what they had to do and cut out part of my skull and all that kind of stuff, and then kept me in an emergency coma sorry kept me in an induced coma um my mum's basically like keep him alive until i get there yep and the only way they could do that was putting me in an induced coma and so 
she then came back. I think she got back to Melbourne 24, 36 hours later. And then I stayed in the cabin for another few days. And then they brought me back out without knowing how I was going to be, without knowing whether or what, what brain damage was going to be there, how, mm-hmm. you know. And so then they pulled me back out again and I was stable, which was good. And then the biggest question was whether I could swallow or not. Okay. Um, they didn't know. And so apparently I was on yogurt for about three days. Um, and that was working. So then they changed to changed to to solids and did all that kind of stuff. And then um, all that was working. I didn't open my eyes for about a for a month. Were you light sensitive, like seriously light sensitive? I don't remember opening my eyes to a being bright because I just didn't. Yep. I remember all I could do was hear things for a month. I could hear nurses. I could hear doctors. I could hear my cousins. I could hear my sister my mom i could hear people couldn't i'd have no idea what they looked like i remember coming back to monash medical center one time and i recognized a voice yep and i don't know who that voice was but i'm like i know that voice and then we turn around and my mom's like that was your nurse in hdu yeah and it was and which was pretty cool she's like wow i never see old patients and i was like oh is that you i'm like you were great (laughs) (laughs) that was that was pretty cool but um yeah, there was that photosensitivity definitely and yep. extreme exhaustion. I was on a couch for a good, you know, I was living at my mum's mm-hmm. and, and I was, I couldn't leave the couch. Basically, I'd get up and go to the toilet or having a shower, geez, that just wiped me. Yep. Um, but yeah, so that's, I could, all I just had to do was sit there and sit there and process emotions. Like I'd, I'd been, I've been through a lot of relationship turmoils for the last 10 years prior to that jumping from relationship to relationship and never dealt with any other breakups. So I dealt with all 10 years of them in six months while yeah. I was sitting there by myself. So there's a lot of emotions of feeling cheated from the stroke, emotions of feeling angry at myself and past emotions of, 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 of breakups. And, and then my mind would just delve into these pits of thoughts. And it was just, it was nuts. Like I, I, I never, my mum was the only one because I was living with her. She was the only one that could really understand what was going on for me because she'd see me yeah. and come home from work and, and, and I wouldn't want to talk and she yep. would just leave me alone. Physically, I, I, I couldn't do much anyway. Yeah. But emotionally, it was, it, was, it was brutal now that I think about it. It was really tough. Do you think that was due to, I mean, how long is a piece of string? But do, do you think that was due to the someone messing with your neurochemistry with a stick uh, or do you think that was due to the circumstances or um, I, I a think bit of both? I both, all of it. I think the fact that, because I'd, I'd been ignoring, ignoring the bad things in my life for 10 years yeah. prior to that. All I had for those first three months was just thoughts. And because I was feeling so cheated at the world, and the fact that I had all of these hopes, dreams and wishes and things that I wanted to, to achieve and I couldn't do them anymore. Yep. And so I was angry. Yeah. And so because that anger was there and it was, you know, building up and building up and I could feel I'm like, oh, I've got to let this go because or else this is going to be still be here in 30 years time. Yeah. So I let that go and because I was letting that emotion up, everything came up as well, you know, yeah. that I just suppressed for so many years and even to the point of, getting cross on myself for not applying myself at uni when I knew that I should have and I was too busy partying or going out and I just choose to go and hang out at a bar rather than go and, you know, write this assignment. Everything, every emotion. Wow. And it was, it was, it was 
it was nuts. That was probably the hardest thing. And, yeah. and, but I know that that was one of the most healing parts for me was allowing that to come through because I had no, I had no time limits on myself. There was no pressure. I could heal. I could physically, I know that I needed to stop and rest and let my nervous system mm. do its job, mm. you know? And so the, when you, when you stop and you're not occupied, you know, it's like going to bed at nighttime, you know, that's yeah. when you've got time to think. And sometimes that's when the, uh, <laughs> the worst of it happens at 2am, whether you want it or not. Yeah, 100%. And that's what it was for, for uh, there'd be good days and there'd be bad days in that way. And that was what I didn't factor in the fact that there'd be good days and bad days and really bad days. And anyway. did you find, did you find your injury messed with your sleep as well? I remember struggling when I came home from, I was in rehab for six weeks. Yep. I remember struggling when I left rehab, but that was more to the fact that I was used to the bed, I think. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm not too sure, but yep. I was, but because of, of being in that space, everything was so important. Mm. And so even the fact that I had a, I, I would often go wandering in my dreams and I don't know where I'd be. And, uh, and so if I woke up and didn't know where I was, my, my cousin actually gave me this <laughs> could be quite funny. And uh, she gave me this white polar bear and my cousin gave me this white polar bear and that was sitting next to my bed. Mm. So if I woke up in the middle of the night and I, I don't know, God, I don't know. Some nights I felt like I was in Japan. Some nights I felt like I was wherever I was. Mm. If I opened my eyes and I saw this bear, that was, I knew that I was safe. It was an anchor. Yep. And yeah. that was, I don't know, with the meds that I were on, I was a space cadet. I was such a, so yes, when I was in rehab, yes, it messed with my sleep. Yeah. Absolutely it did. At, at my mum's house, no, but I reckon I slept for about a week. Okay. There. But um, yeah, it was, dream traveling was a thing. <laughs> yeah, I had, some, uh, I had some pretty interesting experiences on Endone, which is a whole other podcast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was I don't think that was around when I when it happened to me. I was not. I I can't remember what I was. I was more on anti nausea meds. That was the big one for me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you you did sort of allude before about sort of the the emotional stuff, and you know you talked about a lot of the past stuff came out, and you yeah. know once you stop, so it's always a debt. Everything catches up. Yeah. But I'm assuming, uh, you know, knowing what you knew, and we talked a little bit about you know possible prognosis and some of the things you're going to have to deal with. Was uh, the potential future and what that would and wouldn't look like? Did that occupy brain space? Oh, a lot, yeah. a lot. And I think the worst thing, one of the most difficult challenges about that was the fact that it was a question mark, and yeah. I just didn't know. And all I knew was the things that I that I couldn't do. Yeah, I can't. I can't even. I can't even tell you what they were now because. There were things that I wanted to do when I was when when I was 32. Yeah, and turns out I didn't want to do them anyway. You know, and there were there were things that were because I had a huge a huge attitude shift. My sister would say to me, she was grieving the loss of her brother when I had this stroke, and I said, "But I'm still alive." She goes, "No, but you're a different person." My wife says exactly the same thing. Yeah, right, and and so. I, so then all the things that I, that I was disappointed that I would never get to do, turns out I didn't want to do them anyway, because the, the old Ash wanted to do it, but the new one actually didn't want to borrow them. Can you give it like a, a small example just to sort of illustrate that? I mean, look, I get it because I've had similar, but 
Oh, okay. Here's one. So yeah. this, this was another big point of contention. So children, okay. I was in favor of having children. Yep. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I'll say I was in favor of having children. Yep. Um, my sister will listen to this, I'm sure, at some point. And she'll, <laughs> um, I was in favour of having children. And then after the stroke, I then became quite ambivalent about having kids. Um, wow. But I also became 100% selfish and focused on myself because I had to. Yes. So I then, I was the first priority by a long shot over anything. Mm. Every, everything was calculated. If we, we went out for for breakfast or for lunch i'd have to sit there and go well where are the bathrooms and have i got some something to hold on to to get to that bathroom and yeah. that stressed me out i'm yeah. like because my walking wasn't great and i'm like, sorry my balance wasn't great yeah and so i will sit there and go right can we ha- can we get a seat near the toilet so that i can then get my way to the toilet mm-hmm. and so then every, it didn't matter what it was everything was about me and so then i'm like hey i'm too busy trying to deal with myself yeah. let alone having a child yeah so then my desire for kids just went down and down and down and down. And then I met my now wife and her desire for kids were, was even less than mine, which was baffling. <laughs> and that was a good match. But, yeah. Uh, wow. But yeah, so, uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was probably the biggest change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of things that I had that I wanted to do involved doing things with other people and maybe for other people and, and, and just to do other experiences and, but then when I became all about myself, I'm like, do I actually need to do those things? You know, and yeah, travel was on my list again to go and experience places like South America and a few other things. Yeah. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm not capable to do that right now. Was that a gradual realization? I mean, or was it a case of I woke up, uh, you know, I've got some of my cognitive skills back. Actually, no, I don't want to do that now. Or was it, oh, I really want to do that. And then it was a realization that happened over a period of time. Yeah, definitely over a period of time. Yeah. Definitely over a period of time. Um, once I then became more cemented in in what I wanted to do. And so all, the only thing I wanted to do was go to uni and finish studying. Yeah. Um, and so once I did that, my next then my next plan was, okay, well, I want to start working in this field. Okay. And it's like, how does that happen? And luckily my sister and my mum have a, had a clinic at the time and they still have that clinic. And so I went and worked with them. Um and doing what I doing what I love, like being an acupuncturist, was the only thing I could I could think of doing, even though I'd been in hospitality for so many years. But I yeah. couldn't even bend over without wanting to vomit. Like my 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 vestibular system it got such a a hit. Now I can manage it, but I look, I still can't. Like if you ask me to if you ask me to lie on the floor, it will take me a good ten seconds to get down on the floor without wanting to vomit because my brain can't handle all the different planes. Yep. So, you know, if I go to the gym and I can do exercise in the, in the, in the vertical plane, that's fine. Yep. Horizontal plane I can, but it'll take me a while to get there. Yep. You're going to get me to do something, you know, for instance, if you do like a crunch, like you're leaning back and your abs are kicked in and you want to, I want to do something in that plane. No, yep. not going to happen. No yep. way. Bending over and, and working behind a bar. No, couldn't do it. Okay. You know, even now I'd, I'd, I'd do it, but I'd struggle. In the early days, did you ever have doubts that due to your injury that TCM might be off the table because it was such an unknown unknown? Yeah, definitely. I didn't know. I remember when I started working, I had to have the treatment room specifically set up or mm. I had to make sure that anything I had to do was 
not going to challenge me. So how did you reconcile that? Because I mean, I reckon, look, I remember sitting in a hospital bed once upon a time going, I have no idea what the future is going to look like. All my plans have been shot to crap and it put me in a hole in the ground uh, for a good chunk of time. Um, And then, you know, had to work through it. But how did you stay? How did you get past it? How did you stay so sort of, you know? Good question. (laughs) I think because whilst I was studying, I didn't have the capability to think beyond that because all I was trying to do was to finish my studies. Yep. So I'm, I've, I've always been, I've generally been that kind of person and the supporting contention now with my wife that I, I, I don't forward think that I'm like, okay, I just got to get to Christmas. Once I'm at Christmas, then I can deal with what's happening next year. Yep. Or when we got married, I'm like, I'm, I'm, my mind stops at the wedding. After the wedding, don't ask me questions about two weeks after the wedding because I don't know, haven't thought about it yet. So I can, I, I, I thought about studying, thought about what just desperately wanted to graduate. And then once I finished, I'm like, okay, well now I've got to focus on, on how to make the, how to, how to work in this industry. So it really was, I had a great analogy and I'm going to paraphrase it cause I'll mess it up. But um, somebody somewhere said, when you're in massively stressful situations, making your world smaller is a good way to deal with it. Yeah. 100%. Is that, is that a fair call? Absolutely. It is. It's, I suppose I looked at the short-term goals Yep. and I, and that's how I suppose I dealt with my initial recovery was all the tiny things. Yep. Not when I was bedridden, how am I going to work? Cause that was completely incomprehensible. It was, can I shower? Yeah. It's the, the day that I was able to put my pants on, without sitting down yeah oh, i don't know how many years later that was years later no no not even pants undies yeah already get graphic but <laughs> that's all right <laughs> to stand up and put them on because my what i can't i struggle to stand on one leg and balance yeah. on one leg so doing that i remember <laughs> this is really embarrassing i remember running out of my bedroom and saying to my mum, i'm like this it just Sounds like I'm a four-year-old. And uh, I'm just like, mom, guess what I did? And she's like, well, I'm like, I just put my undies on with that. <laughs> All right. I, it was one of the highlights of my month. You think you're going to be graphic, but but I remember making a call to the old boy um, when I was still in hospital, celebrating the fact, dad, I could stand up to use the loo today. Yep. Yeah. I, correct. Yeah. Correct. I, remember, it's one of, I don't remember much about that time, but I remember yep. that. Yep. And, and I yeah. completely, and it, there's all those little wins. That's, I've never actually thought about this, but yeah, that's definitely what got me through, you know, and all the tiny, small things. And I, I remember clearly, I, cause I couldn't tilt my head. Like driving was going to be a real issue getting my driver's license back. Cause I couldn't do head checks. I couldn't turn yeah. my head properly. And even now, cause I, I had double vision. I still have it now, but I had it worse then. Okay. When I turn my head quickly, I can't focus. Yeah. Like I struggle to see, I see multiple things. Mm. And so tilting my head was not good. And so mm. what do you do when you eat a taco? You turn your head to the side. Yep. Now I remember the the first time we had to, in our family, we eat tacos a lot. And so <laughs> Taco had, Tuesday. Yeah. It could have been <laughs> any, any day that ends in Y. Um, and so we would then have it. And I remember I'm like, oh, how am I going to do this? Yeah. And so the way I would get through it is I would shut my eyes. And if I shut my eyes, then it wasn't as bad me tilting my head. Oh, wow. I shut my eyes and I tilted my head and I took a bite. And then I 
right in my head again and opened my eyes and I'm like, whoa, that didn't feel good at yeah. all. This is like, are you okay? I'm just like, yes and no, I may need to make this a naked taco. Yeah. And, and so then I remember, I don't know how many months later it was. And I think my sister then said, we had tacos. Mm. She's like, you've just eaten a taco. I'm like, yeah, I know. She's like, remember when you couldn't? Yeah. And, and I'm like, oh yeah, I couldn't. And I like, that'll be crystal clear in her memory. <laughs> all those things like that. But yeah, it was all those tiny little things. So you still deal with some of that stuff even today, 10 years post? Absolutely. Yep. So okay. I, I'm, I'm better at managing it. So if yep. I, my right eye, is it right? Yeah. My right eye is better than my left eye. Okay. Um, and I'm, I'm convinced that that has to do with the fact that I could only lie on my left-hand side for about six months or 12 months. Um, and so my left-hand eye was closed, generally closed. Are you and left or right side deficit from your stroke? Left side deficit. Yeah. But that's in term, that's, that was more in terms of hand motil- oh, sorry, mobility. Yeah. Um, but because I was lying on my left-hand side on the pillow the whole time, my left eye didn't have to do a great deal of work. It was only my right eye. And yeah, so I okay. yep. utilized a whole lot more. Yeah. Because uh, I'm, I'm tipping you had a, now the caveat I'll offer uh, to anyone that's listening is I'm not a doctor, but uh, I'm assuming <laughs> that you had a, did you have a cerebellar stroke? I'm I did indeed. 100%. Uh, I just had an appointment with a guy, an ophthalmologist, because uh, I had all these issues with my eyes that I didn't understand. And I'm like, what the hell? And he said, yeah, apparently the cerebellar stroke um, messes with your depth perception. Because I always complained about the fact that oh, like my, eye, my yeah. eyes don't talk to each other. No, they definitely, they definitely don't talk to each other. Yeah. So, and he said, yeah, it's a depth perception thing. Yeah, right. Uh, and that's, it's good that you say that because I would say that to people. I'm like, I, I struggle with depth, which scared me no end going into the field of acupuncture and, and cupping and using naked flames in his skin and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. so that's why I didn't use flame. I didn't do flame cupping for, for quite a few years. Yeah. So flame cupping is when you use an actual naked flame as opposed to what you can get is suction cups Yep. where you, it's got uh, like a pump on it which causes the vacuum within the cups and then you put that on the skin yep. and the naked flame, you cause the vacuum with the naked flame. I do it now fine and I love it because it yeah. because I can and it works a whole lot better, I think. But um, at the start, I'm like, no, yeah. no I can't, I, I'm going to burn the bejesus out of someone. Yeah. Do you, do you deal with fatigue? Yeah, all the time. Did you change the way you approach things or way you did things to help manage your fatigue? Definitely, I had to. Yeah. Um, I, I changed basically I, one thing a day. My rule was one, maybe two things a day. Yeah. And that was it. What kind of things? I mean, because you could say, well, okay, I'm just going to do the dishes and empty the dishwasher and call it quits. Or was it more of a, a larger focus that you would sort of say, I'm only going to uh, work on this project? The smaller things I could do. Um, but again, it was so my my nausea was the biggest issue. Okay. So bending over just set off nausea. Everything pretty much set off nausea for me. I was on a, a cocktail of any nausea meds for a long time. And so that was my that was my restrictor. Okay. Was a nausea. And so I would it wasn't so much fatigue that came later. Mm-hmm. It was I noticed fatigue, oh. I don't know whether you got this as well. Fatigue was a delayed fatigue. It was it was a big it was kind of like if I did stuff in that day, yep. wasn't tired that night, but I was. Yeah, the following day. Oh. The, the, that's the thing that's irritated me about fatigue, and I'm sure others out there will be dealing with exactly the same thing, 
If you go to the gym and you ruin yourself, you feel ruined. You know you've done too much or you're starting to feel ruined during the process. Post-stroke yeah. fatigue, well, it is for me. And it seems like for you, the feedback loop on it is like a day or two. Nuts. And it's, it's, that, and was so- thing to manage. that was yeah. the hardest thing to manage. And, and so if I did a lot in one day, the next day was a write-off. Yeah. So yep. that's what I had to be more careful of. And so like if we... Yeah, you know, my, my some of my friends were were so they were wonderful because yeah. they would pick me up and because I couldn't drive they'd pick me up and they'd take me to friends' houses and we maybe we were there for three hours in the afternoon that was about my limit. Yep. And then they would then drop me home and they're like, right, I'll see you in three days. Yeah. And they know not to call me the next day. They maybe send me a text message, maybe, but they knew that I'd be done. Did you have a hard time, or sorry, uh, was it a challenge getting? those around you not necessarily in your immediate but to because strokes happens to old people i mean yeah. that's you know that did did they understand it or was it a case they were just led by you or it was a very good weeding process i had friends lots of friends but then quite a few of those friends became acquaintances mm. and then quite a few of those friends aren't in my life anymore yeah actually a lot of those friends aren't in my life anymore mm. And it was a natural wedding process. I didn't have to try. Yeah. Just happened, just happened. communications lost and then it's done. And we're like, okay, that person is not serving me right now. And then that's okay. Mm. It's all good. No love mm. lost. The people that cared about me wanted to know what happened to me. Mm. And they were curious about me. They're like, well, how are you feeling? Mm. You know, and, and they, they were the important ones. And they were the ones that, that you know, I could literally... It's probably about five or six of them. Okay, that were really, really close, and they were they were very important to me. Yeah, and they helped me a lot. So, um, but there's some people that, you know, they were like, "Oh, wow, that's that's terrible," and then that's it. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Look, it is terrible. You know, so I was having a car crash. Yeah. I guess where it gets challenging, and I've heard this a lot from from different people, and um, invisible injuries. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are a whole, it doesn't take away from anybody else that's got anything else going on, but it presents its whole different set of challenges because you look and walk and talk nine times out of 10 like everybody else. Correct. Correct. And, and that's, was, that's what, I, what I was hoping to get to. I didn't want to be treated differently. Yeah. I'm less secretive about it now. Yep. Because I understand the, bene- the, the benefit in, in, in being truthful and people hearing my story and not because I want sympathy. Yeah, yeah, because it gives people context and a better understanding. Mm. Um, and then, especially in my industry, it doesn't give me credibility, but people know that I've been through some stuff and know that I understand what it's like to go through trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, when I say to them, I understand, they know I understand. Yeah. So, you know, it's a bit back in the day, I didn't really want to talk about it. Yeah. Because I felt like people would treat me differently. From a sympathy point of view, they were like, "Oh, well, I, I, I didn't want, I didn't want to have the, oh, poor you kind of yeah. thing." Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't want that at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you, you've mentioned the fatigue, and you mentioned uh, the vertigo. Uh, you know, double vision, which you know, a lot of these have subsequently sort of, you know, um, lessened in. So, amongst you've got all of this going on early in your recovery. When yep. did you go back to uni? How long between injury um, and... Uh, injury was July. Yeah. Went back to uni in Feb. 
you must have been damn determined to get back to uni oh, then. Yeah, I, I, I had to. I was done sitting at home. Yeah. I needed something more. But I only had six months to go. So the main subject was a clinic subject and that occupied 12 hours a week. Yep. I stretched that six-month subject over 12 months. So I did two three-hour shifts for the first semester and that was it. Yep. This is a clinic. And geez, that was that was tough yeah. because I also had temperature issues as well. So oh. I start sweating at the drop of a hat. I is was your just, internal thermostat busted? Oh, it was ruined. And yep. it's still I got the same. It still is. So yep. that I can't sit in the sun now. I, I cannot sit in the sun. It's just too hot. Um, and then I start sweating and it's terribly uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, that's why I've moved to Queensland, ironically. <laughs> um, and so it was, ju- it was just tough. So I'd be treating people and I'd literally almost be dripping. Yeah. And I remember my supervisor saying to me, he's like, what are we going to do about this? I said, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to rely on the fact that my central nervous system is going to sort it out. Yeah. And um, it's going to be better. Look, it's, yeah. it's fine. It's fine now at work. It's fine. But also I was anxious. I was stressed. Mm. So I stress sweating as well. Mm. That would that'd be adding to it. How did you manage the stress? Though? I mean, we talked a little bit before about, you know, making your world smaller. Was that, was that part of the, was that part in the, in the kit bag? You know, it's like, well, okay, I know I'm stressing. I just need to concentrate on getting point A to point B or yeah. is that how you manage it? Stress. The only stress I had when I went back to uni was, was, was clinic. Yeah. Okay. It was that, that so it was more. Uh, just getting it all done. Yeah. But they were, they were great. Uni was fantastic to the point that I, they ran a fundraising drive for me. Hey. I think what they raised six or eight hundred dollars. I think it was now coming from uni students. That's, yeah, that's good. You know, that's that a would, lot. That would people could pay their money, and people were giving donations of ten dollars, twenty dollars, fifty dollars. I think the highest one was fifty uni, but it's but oh yeah, and what they did is they if you had library fines, <laughs> you could pay your library fine, but they gave it to me. Oh wow, amazing, right? Yeah, that's amazing. And so uh, so they were they were phenomenal. Yeah. So um, and they just wanted me to, they just wanted me to get there. Wow! So it yeah. sounds like it sounds like you've been through the through the ringer, Ash. I mean, what what does what does life look like for you now? Life life's great. One of the greatest things that came out of this was appreciation. Yep. And I feel like my appreciation has I I have I appreciate everything. Yep. Everything. And so then I feel like that's why things are so good now. Okay. Um, and that's that's the one piece of wisdom that I'd give to people, I'm like like. Put your first, put yourself first and yeah. appreciate everything. Yeah. You know, and that might sound all, you know, lovey dovey and, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I tell you what, it, it's that was what I didn't have. And that's what I do have now. And it's, and it's great, you know, and it's life. I'm up here and I'm working in Brisbane and I'm also working in Sunshine Coast and, and I, I'm in Queensland and, the weather up here is beautiful and I'm here with my wife and, and we're in this little apartment with gra- green grass at like in two, like, yeah, brilliant. So I, I couldn't have imagined, could not have imagined this. I feel like I've been rewarded. Yep. Mate, it's not without its, not without its challenges as life is. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's pretty good. One of the final questions I ask sort of everybody when I uh, have a chat to, to folks is if you could speak to yourself very early in the recovery process, you know, you've, you're in bed, you've got, you know, some of your marbles back and, you know, you've got these doubts and these issues and these things that you're processing. 
you know, what advice could you give yourself or, you know, what could you say to other people in that same situation? What, what would you offer them? I would say don't put a time frame on, on recovery. Need to, as I said, you need to put yourself first. You need to, you need to allow the the body to heal the way it needs to. Yeah. And you need to be extremely selfish. Okay. But in a good way. Yeah. And by placing yourself first when you're compromised, that's not bad selfish. I don't have kids, so I was very lucky. I was solo. I just had me. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas yourself, you had kids and a, and a, and a and a wife and a mortgage and everything else. Mm-hmm. So my responsibility was was could just be about me, okay. But to basically give yourself the time you need to be able to heal and and don't like yeah, it's all good. hindsight's a beautiful thing, isn't it? You know, oh, yeah. <laughs> don't worry about the future. Focus mm-hmm. on the short term goals and and you win all those little things and you win big time. Okay, I think that's a that's that's a perfect place to. Uh... Yeah, to leave it. I think that's uh, that's been absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Just, thank you so much for your time today. I, once again, I really appreciate it. You've got some great insight there and uh, I'm sure people will be really keen to listen. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. It's my pleasure. This episode is part of the Young Stroke podcast series created by Stroke Foundation's Young Stroke Project. Find out more by visiting youngstrokeproject.org.au. You can listen to dozens of other podcasts on our Stroke Recovery website, enableme.org.au. StrokeLine's allied health professionals can help you manage your health and live well. StrokeLine is a practical, free and confidential service. Call 1800 787 653, Monday to Friday, 9am to 5pm, Australian Eastern Standard Time or email strokeline at strokefoundation.org.au. The advice given here is general in nature. Discuss your situation and needs with your healthcare professionals. The Young Stroke podcast series is presented by Australia's Stroke Foundation and funded by the Australian Government Department of Social Services.